0: I'm David Kern. I'm Heidi White. And I'm Sean Johnson. And you are listening to Close Reads, a podcast for the Incurable Reader on which we are discussing Anthony Trollope's The Warden. In uh, particular, we are discussing the whole book, actually. So it's not really in particular. It's it's the, the conclusion of this conversation minus the Q&A, which will be next week. Sean, how's it going? It's going well, David. I got to know, um, you know, we're... We're coming to the end of this conversation on this book and, uh, Heidi and I have been accused of being, and and not necessarily wrongly, so accused of being more negative about this book than you are. Yeah. Uh, so I want to ask you. Yeah, that's uh, just
1: true. That's not yeah, an right, accusation. Right. That's, that's just true. Just it has been pointed, un, it has out.
0: Been pointed out, identified,
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. um,
0: Rightly that, so. uh, named, uh, that, um, we've been more negative. And so I, I want to ask you before I ask Heidi how she's doing. Yeah. yeah. How are you doing as the staunch defender of this book as perhaps, are you, were you feeling a little like attacked? I mean, I feel like hug. it was, I feel like maybe we were, I think the accusations that we, maybe we were accused of being more negative than I feel like we were being. Yeah. Um, but, but, um, you know, yeah, as someone who likes this book a lot, how, are you okay?
2: I'm fine. I'm doing okay. great. The, okay. uh, I, I teach old books for a living and to often to teenagers, right? <laughs> I often encounter, uh, less than generous Philistines. Uh, viewpoints and have to stand as a kind of advocate for the author of the book and also massage the hearts of the, uh, yeah, the Philistines, as you say, yeah. Uh, and not that that's exactly what has happened here, but that's worse, right? That's but, the harder dot, task. Dot, dot. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's the more difficult task. And if I can of that, under what that you will. yeah. Right. Uh, right. and find even enjoyment, yay, uh maybe even satisfaction sometimes in that, then uh, this is great. i uh, doing great. Okay. All right. I'm ahead. a little bit perplexed sometimes about the things that you quibble over in this book. Mm. Oh, okay. But, we'll come back to that in a second. But I think that you have that many of your many of your criticisms have been Valid, and I'm just uh, more likely to like swallow it whole. Yeah, well, that's just true in general. <laughs>
1: <laughs> a good man. Sean. I'm not a
0: whole swallower. Uh, Heidi, how are you? Are you a whole, whole swallower? Or are you? How? Where do you fall into the whole not swallowing spectrum? I'm Completely
1: sure what that means, but I think I'm more of that than you are. <laughs> well,
2: I think
0: that's, that's, like, right. that's like that's yeah. like saying that
2: you know I don't know. Yeah. Okay, when comes, like example. When uh, it comes analogy. to reading, a, is David more like an eat every pea by itself kind of?
1: It's a little bit like the princess yeah. and the pea, a little bit. But that <laughs> is. How dare you. But that's a good thing. You should be. That's right. Like that. Like the, the whole purpose oh, well, of that you. story <laughs> is to highlight how important it is that your soul be disrupted by the failure to live up to mm. what it should be. Okay. okay. Right. I see where yeah. you're going
0: with this now. Yeah. Okay. I got yeah. it. Um, we're not talking about that book, but um, and now that we come to the end, <laughs> Heidi, and you've been, I, it's really a shame, Sean, that I have to ask her this after she's been dealing with a stomach bug for the last couple of days. Yeah. How are you feeling about this book? <laughs> yeah, I the, am come to the feel, end.
1: I'm actually feeling <laughs> completely fine physically. Oh, okay. And um, that yeah, was fast. I had yeah. just had yeah. a stomach Why, bug, but it was bad. just, you know, the, the, the proverbial twenty four hours yeah, yeah um and you're asking me how I'm doing with having finished the book i'm glad I'm glad we're done <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> ambivalence um actually, I kind of feel a little ambivalent about it too i there's things about it when I got to the end that i that I think are of of like merit you know like that i sure. i I can see and I can be like, okay that's why this book is still talked about and then there are the things about it that I've that I'm a little bit surprised. You know, like Sean said that you're surprised about the things that I, that we've quibbled with. There are a few things about it that I, that I'm surprised that don't bother people. You know, (laughs) it's one of those weird reading experiences where, um, you know, like if someone read Pride and Prejudice and just completely
2: quibbled uh, over something,
1: just a bunch of people going to each other's houses, for example.
2: (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The famous
1: Amazon review. But then (laughs) Mr.
2: Collins seemed like a totally decent guy and they didn't have any problems with him. Yeah, exactly, exactly.
0: Well, you know that sometimes books point, you know, become mirrors, Um, (laughs) and maybe that's the case here in this book as well. I don't know for me, but this is one of those books that I'm a little like the experiences have been so so unique and specific to each people, person, and the things that bother some people are the things that other people love about it, which I think I can't decide what that says about where the book belongs. In the tier of like great literature, in some ways, that kind of that spectrum is evidence of some merit. But also, are like, does that mean that it's not on that it just couldn't be? Can a book that gets those kind of disparate responses ever be on the same level as like I don't know Anna Karenina or something like that? (laughs) I don't have. We don't talk about that. It's just something I've been. You know, rolling right. about in my own mind, in yeah. terms of what kind of do do the greatest of the great books have a generally um common? Do they elicit a kind of a generally consistent response among people who care about books and are well read? I'm not saying like the person who's never read a great book before would read Anna Karenina and not be bored or something like that. That's not what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. But um, when we come to the end of this book, one of the big questions though is um, about Harding. And he has, basically in this section, he goes to London. He has a a long day in London. The chapter about his long day in London is long. And (laughs) then he meets with Abraham Haphazard, who advises him not to resign. Nevertheless, he persists. He then uh, visits with his son-in-law and daughter. And they also advise him not to resign. Nevertheless, he persists. Uh, He then resigns. And then at the end, everyone's fine, turns out. Except the dead people. They're not so great. But um, (laughs) everyone kind of is okay, which is a fascinating thing. Because in the end, does the discussion amount to anything is what I want to know. Because even like the book kind of gives us that whole thing about Grantley. He's like, he's a good guy. I'm really sorry that these pages don't represent how good he is. (laughs) <laughs> and so what, what I've been thinking about is given that, what were the stakes in the end? And we kind of talked about that earlier, but in the, does the book kind of satirize its own stakes in the end? Sean, I want to know what you think about this, Be, just in terms of the way it it addresses all of the different characters. Um, he doesn't, and he resigns the post, but ultimately spends most of his time with his daughter and ultimately spends most of his time with the bishop, right? He lives a very happy time in his dotage, he doesn't end up having to endure true um, poverty. Uh, Grantley, he's a creep throughout—not a creep, but he's just kind of a jerk throughout yeah. a lot of the book. But then the book also tells us he's a good guy. Yeah. Bold disappears from the book, as one would, in that in his scenario. I'm not quibbling with that. But then in the end, they get married, and he turns out he turns out to be a good guy, and he and Grantley even become buddies. Um, and <laughs> the bishop lives to a ripe old age, and you know uh, they play chess or something together. Um, and so the stakes kind of wither into the dust of the fading wardenship. Um, just roll with me there. So, Sean, what do you think about this? I was trying to vamp there for a second to give you a chance to think.
2: Oh yeah. Well, I I, I don't think that it's an anti climax. I think the stakes are real enough. There are some there are some pretty heavy moments. For one, the the hospital is without a caretaker. And the the human community within the hospital falls apart. Sure, uh, which is a real a real consequence. Uh, there's even that line about Bell in his last moments, or you know, in his last days on Earth, uh, grasping after money. Yeah, and and a a kind of an, an actual a, a literal prayer for his soul in the face of that and I think that's a pretty heavy consequence that's just sort of laid out there and left to rest Uh, I do wonder I have a question about the the apology for Dr. Grantley if it's entirely the uh, the objective opinion of the narrator I mean this is the perennial question we've been We've been uh, arguing. Oh, now you want to know about the narrative. I know. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Uh,
0: Spent two weeks (laughs) telling me I was being pedantic about it. And now here you are. I don't
1: know. Like, feels like a quibble to me.
2: (laughs) Well, because he is, um, (laughs) there's so much. I mean, I was onto this at the beginning, though. There is so much free indirect discourse Mm -hmm. that it's hard to tell, like, if the narrative voice is swinging and when and how. And it, was, it would be so easy to read that passage about the archdeacon as a kind of self-reflection, right? That when, when, the, when darkness falls and his head hits the pillow at the end of all of this mess and there is enough silence for him to consider honestly what has happened and what has been his role in it, if this isn't the kind of self-justification that a man like dr grantley would offer well i mean if you got to look at it from a certain way i'm not the bad guy here i mean after so you're all you're saying it's grantley's dog <laughs> yeah the grantley is the narrator <laughs> yeah okay hey i mean i've improved i improved the tone of the society of those among whom i live i'm generous to the poor is he generous to the poor first of all <laughs> Uh, That was one of the, that's one of the catches in that passage, right? Who is, who is thinking this? How objective is it? Uh, So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to make of that. But
0: what does it say about the book that those questions are even able to be asked?
2: (laughs) I think that's a, I think it's part of. I think that this is, I think that this is the, the culmination of of what I described as the kind of anti-Dickensian Spirit of the book, Uh, there's there's nothing momentous and world changing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, and in the end, the thing that changes the world is for the worse. The hospital's worse off. Yeah, yeah, and it's so maybe that is that is part of the the intended irony. So many of the players here uh, blew up this problem with the hospital into something momentous that had to be a national scandal uh, and had to be settled and discussed at the, in the highest hallways of power. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that that's part of the ridiculousness of elevating it to that level is that the stakes in the end weren't, except for the souls of some, you know, the immortal souls of some humans, uh, (laughs) the stakes weren't that high. Except for that. Yeah. Yeah. Heidi, go ahead.
1: I think, as I ended this book, I f- I have, it's, I can tell the book is good because I thought about it after I closed it, even though I didn't love reading it. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah, I feel the same way. Yeah. So as I, at the end of the book, I kind of like put it down and then I'm still thinking about it. It is still lingering in my mind. It has raised questions for me on the social and moral Level that are compelling. What I can't tell, and I'm this is an honest question, not a criticism. What I can't tell is if the book itself is aware of the questions it's raising.
2: Yeah.
1: And and what I mean by that is, so what's never part of the conversation among the upper class members of this triangle? Grantley, bold, and bold's a little bit of an exception to this, but not too much. And and Harding himself, what they're never talking about is what is going to happen to these men if Harding walks away. Right. Never. That doesn't come up a single time. In the whole conversation of the book. It is always what is my duty? What am I supposed to do right here? What am I defending? What am I standing for? And, and it's never like abstract who is going to be impacted by this and who's going to suffer as a result of this. Not yeah. even Harding asked that question. Mm-hmm. Bold seems to be the only one asking that question and he drops it like a hot coal and I and even then he wasn't really talking about getting those men 100 pounds yeah. he was just talking about whether or not I should do this or that or whatever and then when we see at the end the misery of these people especially um, who is the guy who supports Harding the whole time Bunce. what's his name? Bunts. especially Bunce and how Bunce was so human the whole time he like, believed in Mr. Harding yeah. and defended him not only as, as his master, but as his person. And then he gets dropped and nobody cares for them. And it's still this question of principle and not personhood. Yeah. Is the book aware of that? Is this even a question for Trollope? It has to be because he's the one who tells us how sad and miserable these men are in the end of their life. But that never becomes a question on any of the people, even the most heroic man who's supposed to be Harding. He's the one that I think it's missing the most out of. Like the glaring absence of his physical care or attention to these men is disturbing to me. And it leaves this moral question that I'm not even sure the book itself is I, I think the book is bringing it up, but I don't think the book is resolving it. And so I can't, I can't see Harding as a hero at the end of this novel. And mm. I realize that I'm going to get comments on this from the <laughs> staunch defenders, but I'm, I'm asking an honest question, not criticizing.
2: Yeah. I think that's, I think that's fair. And, um, and I, I could, I will, I will echo your mm. honest question.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Uh, I think that maybe Trollope imagines Harding getting a pass here. Or I, I think he I does know. too. Uh, and partly because there is, it's not, the novel is not without indications that Harding is the one who thinks and cares about these things. Uh, I mean, there's, there is the reality that he has been supplementing their income from his own as paltry as, as it seems, Uh and he's immediately aware, right? he has to remind them uh, that that will go away when he goes away. Uh, he does seem burdened with the knowledge that their circumstances will, uh, might not be as good as they were when he was the warden. Uh, but because he feels, and I think the, the narrator uses some language about the ills that have been brought upon the men of the, of the hospital at the beginning of the farewell chapter. But I think that, that he presents Harding here, that Trollope presents Harding here as uh, forced into this situation in such a way that even if he is conscious of the harm that will be done to the men of the hospital, uh, the staying as warden of the hospital is the one option that's not left to him. And so that's just lumped in with the evils of of starting this mess in the first place.
1: I agree with you. I think that that is what the book is saying, and I can't, I I can't follow it there.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair.
0: I'm like eighty percent convinced the book is making fun of Harding. <laughs> really? Like, I don't think that he. I don't know. I don't really think he thinks he's a hero either. And I understand the the idea that he's. You know he's standing up for what he thinks is right, and that that's honorable. But I don't, yeah. I don't know that the book takes his his POV on that, his perspective on that, seriously. I think it's kind of mocking of him. Like like that line in the Abraham Haphazard chapter, where it says that it's like he begins to play a slow tune on an imaginary cello or something. <laughs> And like the way it talks about his heartache and his sadness and his psychological difficulty and the things that he's up against, it's constantly rendering those in a sort of not just melodramatic, but um, I almost would say like uh, satirical is not even the right word, or even ironic. It's it it seems to not really value his and and honestly, I think the I like it better when it when it is. I feel that feels more consistent to me with the rest of the book that he's being, it's being a little ironic about it, that it's mm-hmm. being a little sarcastic. Like that's almost the way I, it seems to be that the deeper the book goes, the more sarcastic about Harding's plate it becomes, but not because it looks at Grantley or bold or anybody is having the right, the right vision for the world or the right sense of moral superiority, but because none right. of it, nobody has the right moral vision or moral superiority. They're all, Making I think it views Harding as ultimately kind of being a little bit selfish in his choices. Hmm. Even as he stayed, I don't think he's saying it's wrong to stand up for what you believe in, but I think it views him as I don't think it's saying that he made the right choice. Hmm. I don't I don't think he never gives a compelling reason other than I believe this is the right thing. And everybody and he doesn't ever respond to what our some at least fairly reasonable reasons why he should stay on at least temporarily or listen to the Bishop's wisdom. You know, like there's all kinds of different reasons that he's given to at least wait and think it through. And he makes it what ultimately could be viewed as a sort of rash decision to, to leave. And then they bring in this thing of how At least not that bad. And I don't think that, I just don't think that the book is saying that anybody has any moral high ground to stand on at the end of this book. That's higher than anybody else. I don't. It's not saying that anybody's evil. Mm-hmm. That's it, like it, it. actively tells us the bad guy is not evil. Right. So nobody's making, nobody's being evil. But I think it's also saying that nobody is morally superior to anybody else in the in the story. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that is kind of a interesting, compelling concept, especially when we're talking about the role of the church. And it's almost more scathing of the of the church's uh, role in society and its activities. Within um, the sphere, this is the, the social sphere. I don't. what I mean, you think I'm crazy on this
2: one, Sean? No. No, I don't. I don't know that I would. I don't know that it it levels the the board to the degree that that you think or that you're arguing for here. But I think that uh, in principle, you're onto something. Right? Again, he's. I think he's um, not. We're not left with like a Sydney Carton and a Madame Defarge, yeah, right, uh, right? Like the the noble martyr who's literally you know being killed and going to heaven and apotheosis, and the you know the evil mm-hmm. murderer who's laying in her own pool of blood. Uh, so there is this kind of uh, alloy of of good and evil inside all of these characters. Uh, And maybe commitment to that is what requires Trollope to to pull back a little with Dr. Grantley. Uh, That is a kind of, that's the closest thing. Well, uh, there's the convenience of of, uh, Harding's professional arrangement. uh, But then that and the passage about Dr. Grantley not being so bad are kind of the closest things to deus ex machina we get in the book. Well... You know, I know what I've told you, but hey, at the end of the day, who's perfect?
0: right, yeah, yeah,
2: but I mean, so when you're reading the
0: London chapter I just that whole chapter to me feels like it's making fun of him but it's See, having, I think like, it's, it's,
2: I think it's uh it's evoking pathos because we're we're shown uh i mean he's he's quirky and and insecure and uh weird you know like he's he's doddering and that that's uh not a reason to laugh at him but a reason to sympathize with him and then sort of celebrate when he finds his backbone and stands up to uh haphazard and then to his son-in-law yeah i mean i get that sense that like you it wants you
0: to kind of you kind of got to hang out with him as he's as he's kind of wallowing in his own anxieties and all that. and then, yeah, and getting gets tired. There, and, yeah. <clears throat> but then in a way, him standing up to haphazard becomes itself a deus ex machina, ex machina, because he has never shown any real propensity towards backbone hurry.
2: Uh, Heidi, but it's also um, the moment, right? He's pushed to that. That is the confrontation. Go, what are you going? Well, the, the, that's, that is the moment where this question will be, I think in his mind, will be answered once and for all. Uh, if he gives in to the reasoning of Haphazard who has I see, been set I up see what you're saying. who's been set up by everybody as kind of the, the final authority on this question, then then that's that. Hmm. Hey, what were you gonna say?
1: I think that he's oh Harding. Oh, Harding. We, I think we really are supposed to just celebrate so much with, when he finally stands up for what he has somehow been driven to think is the right decision. Um, and I think what I keep tripping over with him is how much that's because of the newspaper article.
0: hmm um, Yeah, I mean... Yeah,
1: I just think that the Victorian moral code is at the core of this book. And more. that duty is a principle that you stand up for. Like not innately embedded in the inhuman need or suffering or like the, that, you're always trying to find the right rules to live by, right? And that—that's—that's that's the moral journey of a human being. Like, there's this fixed duty that we should attach ourselves to, um, and and promote, and protect at all times. And that—that's the core moral dilemma of this book. That Grantley has this one code, and Bold has this other code. And and Harding is trying to do the right thing caught between those two. And and reputation is so important to that. Like and and so I I think the book is, I think Trollope is holding Harding up as a hero, as some of this like that he found his courage and he stood up for the right thing. And along the way, the collateral damage of that is these men. Um, so, then is I it judging him for that, does that does choice? that? No, I don't think no. it is. No, I so think it's okay that these men suffer. I well, it's not okay, but that's not his fault. He had to do this, like as Sean said, and like, of course, they shouldn't have suffered, but like. What was he supposed to do? He found the right code. Like he was living by his duty. He was protecting his reputation. And so I think within the moral world of the book, he is the hero. And but to your point, David, I think the comic and ironic tone of the book is supposed to kind of like mitigate that and get us to kind of like find the ridiculous. But the the ridiculous I don't think is ridiculous like I think that I'm I'm just struggling to to like find my bearings in the moral world of this story that I think is relatively I just think is kind of wrong. So I think no. he's trying to like promote this like world, this moral world and I get the fact that he is he he himself is trying to stand up for something and I respect that. I think that the conclusions he comes to, I can't follow him there. And that's where I've struggled in the book. Hmm.
2: Is there, if if the conclusion of the novel is flawed in that way, is there an an obvious alternative? Like what should Harding have done?
1: I don't think there's an obvious alternative. I think...
2: Is that because the novel like obscures an obvious alternative? Oh, that's a good question.
1: No, I think that he should um i i think he should stay and take care of those men and figure out a way to provide for them just eat it on the
2: pr front
1: (laughs) of course to me that's (laughs) That's the the
2: difficult thing about it
0: is like abraham he puts it in the voice of abraham haphazard but he basically says that what does he say uh, this poor little clergyman cowed into such an act of extreme weakness by a newspaper article was well, to Sir Abraham so contemptible an object that he hardly knew how how to talk to him as a
2: rational being. Like he's well, like. Then we get we the father you're of gonna twelve leave? who also wouldn't care about.
0: Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. You're gonna you're gonna leave these men. You're gonna leave this post because right now you're worried about the PR and ultimately that is what Harding is concerned about they they're everyone's saying we can figure this out we can adjust your pay we can figure out how to help them we can we can even respond from a pr perspective like you're not this is going to end it's going to pass and he because of he's worried about his reputation being silly and be it's not just reputation i understand that he's worried about his reputation the way he thinks about himself and that's what haphazard, haphazard can't grasp is that it's more than just the pr angle yeah and i will say to the book's credit there is no obvious solution because I think that the dilemma is pretty complex. Like, I think there is of a course, com- moral yeah. complexity to the dilemma yeah. Yeah. the book offers that, that leads us into these kind of conversations. What I think Heidi and I are probably having trouble with is how it susses out, how it explores those, like w- ultimately how it determines the the virtue or vice of the decisions that are made along the way. I think that that's oh, yeah.
1: right. and I And I think that... That, aside from whatever you know, whatever we I know that I know that when you use the word quibble, you weren't saying these are quibbling things about the literary world. I understand that, Sean. But whatever quibbles, air quotes we might have about the storytelling and the um yeah. and that the style and that and all of and the narrator's voice and all that, to me, the novel is problematic because it doesn't seem to take into account the human cost of of this of of this like interior internal um adherence to duty that I think is the whole problem with the Victorian moral code. And this book doesn't seem to acknowledge that at all. Or yeah. it seems to see it as collateral damage. And that I cannot see Harding as a hero. And so that that's I think at the end of this novel my main my my main issue with well, the novel.
0: And to your point what I'm most intrigued by as I get to the end of the book is that I don't, I'm not hundred percent convinced that the book is totally seeing him as a hero either because mm-hmm. of the way it portrays him in some of these scenes, the way it seems to mock him, the way it seems to view him as, as I think it thinks of him as virtuous, but also that his virtues are a little bit, uh, precious. And he's a little bit precious about the notion of virtue as well, if I can put it that way. Like, I think that, and I think that in that, if that is the case, I find the the contemplation that that offers to be more, to be more interesting. And to also resolve some problems (laughs) that I have with it earlier.
1: (laughs) I hope you're right. Yeah. If you're right, I think it's better.
0: But I think the problem is that people who love this book, who have been yelling at their their phones and their their <laughs> car speakers while well. we've been doing having these conversations throughout the last three episodes, but probably especially over the last 20, 30 minutes or whatever. They probably like it because because they think that we're wrong. Right.
1: Which is why and I that, said at the beginning of the conversation, this book is probably go- really good because it's still lingering in my mind. It's still creating a really rich conversation. There are people who are like what else could Harding do? Like and yeah. And so like And the problem isn't any of the people. The problem is the social world. And that's what's being highlighted and brought to the surface. And we're supposed to be condemning the Victorian moral code because of this. And so I think that it does raise a rich set of contemplations that is creating a really good conversation.
0: Sean, do you think the anti-Dickensian nature of this book and his sort of distaste for Dickens' approach to social justice... Plays into this conversation at all
2: uh yeah, I think so. I, because I don't think I'm with you to the point that um, I don't know, I'm just ninety percent with you on everything that you're saying. <laughs> uh, I, I'm with you that there is not there's not a neat resolution right at the end of this novel uh, and
1: yeah nobody really gains anything
2: right. And uh accepts clear every... consciences. <laughs> well, John <laughs> yeah. Bold gains a wife. John Bold gains a wife, that's true. Yeah. At the um well yeah. Yeah. Uh <laughs> but a friend, actually. <laughs> even even the clear consciences, I mean I I do I do wonder if the novel means you to be terribly satisfied with the fallout from Harding's I think, departure. I, don't I mean, think it does. Yeah. it does It does go to the trouble of telling you uh, in some great detail that the hospital is ruined yeah. by his departure yeah. uh, and that every every character we encounter uh, is made complicated, so even haphazard we uh, the narrator goes to the trouble of telling us that he's uh, both <laughs> uh, both a good provider and a lousy husband and father right. Uh, Right. And and yet, in the exchange, I think David's point is right. In, in the exchange with Harding, he raises reasonable questions that Harding can't answer. Uh, he won't even they, acknowledge them. Right, and and the one of the reasons that he avoids them, or one of the ways he dodges them, is both his one of his strengths, or one of the marks in his favor, and also probably one of the problems with how he's approaching the question. And that's, he's the only character who puts it in terms of, uh, answering to God for his conduct, which is always both the most important question to be asking and the easiest out. (laughs) And I, and I think, I think how that, what function that serves in Harding's case is ambiguous Mm -hmm. in the novel. I think it's what allows him to overlook certain things, uh, like the well-being of the, the men in the hospital, uh, although the novel also is careful not to um, not to leave them entirely passive. Right, we're reminded again that as soon as their desires are excited, they begin to cooperate in their right. own, yeah. you know, suffering. Uh, yeah, their vices lead them towards a particular outcome. Yeah. And, uh, which I guess if you really wanted to try and trace the, the thread back, Bold's still kind of the villain, <laughs> kind of the villain of the book, but, right. uh, but he got his soft play halfway through and then you're right. He kind of disappears. Uh, yeah. If you, and frankly, so depending on whether, how, what you want to rank the, the wrongdoing in the book. It didn't but take But I them. think it is, it's a, it's a mess. I think it's, it's not, there's not a neat, uh, conclusion but there would be in a dickens novel and so maybe that is yeah. uh, that that often maybe mm-hmm. Trollope is not steering towards something as much as he's steering away from something which that and that's why i just think that the book is more interested in in
0: questioning whether harding is actually a hero than than not
1: like i yeah, think he's someone think who
0: could... we respect for his his uh on the one hand his courage to stand up for him for him, what he thinks is right but also that he does have a degree of cowardice in his worried about his reputation. And that when those two things collide, people do, there is a degree of collateral damage to use Heidi's phrase. I think it's really important that there's this paragraph on 183 in that chapter, the concluding chapter, where it, right after it talks about it says how and how fared the hospital under this resolve of its visitor yeah. badly indeed. It is now some time since Mr. Harding has left. The warden's house is still tenantless. Some of them have died, and you know, um, so on and so forth. And then it says, um, It talks about the building itself going to ruins and um, the whole place has become disordered and ugly. And then it says, the warden's garden is a wretched wilderness. The drive and paths are covered with weeds. The flower beds are bare and the unshorn lawn is now a mass of long, damp grass and unwholesome moss. The beauty of the place is gone. Its attractions have withered. Alas, a very few years since it was the prettiest spot in Barchester and now it is a disgrace to the city. I think that's an important paragraph and I think Mm -hmm. it's either orienting us towards how we're supposed to read this novel and think about the moral conclusions and the choices that they make or it's bad novel writing. (laughs) And I don't think there's really anything in between there. It's either just dropped in there because he wanted to write write prettily, which that's just bad novel writing, or it's telling us how to think about the the repercussions of the collateral damage of the choice that this guy made. And that, and well, that he was forced to. Like he's not the only one involved yeah. in the choice that he had to make. So, do you did you guys ever watch
2: um, the Good Place?
0: Yeah. Yes. Are you going to do uh, a trolley?
2: The trolley question? <laughs> no. Uh, further, further down the 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 further Good Place the was line. a series. <laughs> the Good Place is a series that was never going to end well. It was always right. going to have a stupid ending right. because mm-hmm. the people making it aren't capable of dealing with those questions. The answers to those questions in a satisfying way. But the questions were fascinating. So who is? And, right and partway through the series, what, what I really loved was that they, when they discovered, they like snuck into the good place or something. And, and they discovered that this complex moral calculus that had been admitting people into the good place or the bad place was so muddied by the complexities of modern life that there was no way to commit a purely moral act anymore. And so one yeah. of the examples. was like you buy roses to give to your mother, but the roses were picked by an immigrant who can't make a living wage because of the laws. And the roses were sprayed with a pesticide that's killing the honeybees. And so actually, you tried to do this good deed that netted you a moral negative. Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah, you're actually, right. you're actually in, closer in the to book. the bad place yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Uh, in the scoring system than you were before you tried to do this good deed. Uh, And I I thought that's fascinating because it's so descriptive of our everyday life. Uh, I, I boycott Starbucks because they hate Christmas, but then I go buy coffee from Dunkin' Donuts and they actually get their beans from, you know, Colombian cartels or something, whatever. And you don't know half, <laughs> like half of the, just, the poor people. Sean just is speak, speaking some some truth into the world right now. And, and the rumors right. are going to spread. You're grinding the face of poor people that you've never met. And you don't even know it when you buy sneakers from whatever. And I think that there's a little bit, a, a, a small version of that going on here. And that paragraph is a great example. Because if you try and say, oh, well, it's because the warden left. Well, the warden felt like he couldn't stay. And maybe there's something to that. So why didn't the bishop just figure out a way to solve the problem and bring him yeah. back? Well, maybe he right. would never have come back. Who started this in the whole, in the first place? Like, there's not there's not an easy place to point the finger at the end. Uh, and it is uh, it is maybe it's Trollope being uh, maybe it's a, a brave move on Trollope's part to be willing to leave something like that just lingering uh, when that would not have been. The very popular thing for a Victorian novelist to do, right? And that's right. as much as we can ask of.
1: <laughs> I think that if Trollope is doing that, and if Mister Harding is under just as much investigation as Grantley and Bold and everybody else in the novel, then it's a very good book. I so, I, I can't.
2: I don't know. I don't know that I'd be willing to contend that he is yeah. under just as much investigation, right? Uh, but I don't think he gets a complete pass either.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I don't think he can because if he did, <laughs> it would just be this like triumphant ride into the sunset with his moral <laughs> right. superiority, right? And that's not yes. how the novel yep. ends. Right. And so I, I do think that what I can't tell. Is all the things that we've already talked about, but I really like your comparison to The Good Place there, um, with the Jeremy Bearme thing. You know, when they write it in the sky, and it—it's a great, it's a pretty good show actually. Um, yeah. But you have to watch it from you—you you, you have to watch it knowing that the conclusions that the book that that skip the that last the three episodes comes, and you'll be fine. Yes, yeah. yes, <laughs> that the show comes to our they—they they are lacking because we don't have a meaningful framework for understanding our um are you know any kind of ultimate truth from from the perspective so, of the of the writers of this of of the show. And yep. I think here there's I I think there's maybe potentially a similar problem of the opposite kind that we have a worldview that thinks they know best yeah. and is continually trying to Find their way to that best. And whoever kind of suffers along the way, you know, you just gotta you just gotta handle that, you know,
2: that's right,
0: so regarding the good place, I have long thought that the best way that that show should have ended is they should have created a really good episode that didn't give you a total conclusion, but it was like a season finale. And the whole plan all along should have been for the show to get canceled. <laughs> I think that would have been hilarious if it just ends by getting canceled without giving you all the final conclusion, but give you oh, a really man. interesting question. It shows it canceled great. all the time. And it would have been the right. right response because they can't, there's no way, they could not have wrapped that up in a way that anybody was going to be totally no. satisfied And they should have known. They other than known a few jokes.
2: <laughs> yeah. 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 Well,
1: that's like Lost. Remember when Lost was... <laughs> oh, man. And and Lost had, I mean, pretty pretty much well, it's it like never. they just picked up a pile of dog poop in the backyard and <laughs> smeared it on a page and called it the script for the last season. Like, and that's... And like because when you that's raise, you really feel. yeah, like when you raise ultimate questions in a show that doesn't believe in answers, that's what you get.
0: Yeah, that show right. got. There's a lot of, a lot of things that happened along the way with that show. Although right. I do believe that the whole concept originally was a purgatory type concept oh, yeah. from the very first episode. For sure. And and then they never expected it to be what it became. And then yeah. the networks are like, "You got to keep going. You got to keep going. You More keep- seasons. Yeah. 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 yeah.
1: yeah. Time travel. You can't <laughs> yeah. have God. It has to be time travel. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do. I think that one of the things that's compelling about Trollope that I think that is is that he has such a secure and solid moral vision, and that that is, I think, for modern readers. Who are just tired of nihilism, mm-hmm. and this is—it's so refreshing to read a story that takes duty seriously, and that takes—it uh, has a moral scaffolding that is secure, that 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 the characters are continually running up against and having to deal with and having to reckon with, and 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 so I, I think that for for people who love Trollope or love Dickens or moral or Victorian literature. In general, it is that like moral center that anchors the whole story that is so compelling no. to the modern reader. That's just like, well, it just please give me something that's not just like, going to tell me to follow my heart. <laughs>
0: like, yeah, right. Yeah, and I do think. No, now you got me thinking about something. Does it though? Like you know, see, that's where I really kind of think that the book is being critical. I agree with you. I agree that that moral that there is a that 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 is like an. Anti-Nihilist, don't follow your heart. Anti-modern, in a way, anti-Dickensian book. But doesn't Harding ultimately kind of follow his heart? Isn't that what he's doing? And that's why I think the book is being way more critical of him than posing him as a hero. Like I don't think there's any heroes in this book. I don't think there's any villains. I think there's people that are up against a complex dilemma which kind of throws us for a loop as readers. And then ultimately it sometimes praises and sometimes teases the characters. Like Harding is so full of foibles that the narrator keeps coming back to. And then he's, sometimes he's full of virtue and sometimes the narrator's just like, come on, man, get with it. You know, (laughs) you just, you know, pull on your boots and do something. And then sometimes it praises him for, you know, his moral superiority in the world. So, I I just don't know that in the end. That's why I really do think that it's being way more critical of Harding than, than maybe people are willing. I don't know,
1: or maybe just not idealizing him as the. I.
0: Yeah, I mean, in the I just I he in the end gets his cake and eats it too. You know, along with the bishop, and I think that's really important. Because he says, no, no, I'm going to I'm going to live in poverty. I'm not going to do those things. I'm not going to go live with you. I'm not going to live with the bishop. I'm not going to take, I'm happy to live in poverty because otherwise I'll never be able to be happy with myself. But what <laughs> does it say? He's not unhappy. It says, Mr. Harding, we say, is not an unhappy man. He keeps his lodging, but they're of little use to him, right? So he goes to live in the little house, but he doesn't stay there. He goes to live in the house where he thinks he's going to be living in poverty. But then in the end, he spends all his time at his daughter's house. He moves his, was his instrument? I can't remember what it is. He moves his instrument to her house because he <laughs> spends so much time there. And then he goes and dines with the bishop who, you know, gets to be moody and hilarious. So, and
1: But the other side of that, like the the reply to that is going to be, well, this is just God caring for him because he did the right thing. His reward is that he doesn't really have to suffer because he's so beloved and so endearing and so such, such a paragon of virtue that he, his community rallies around and cares for him the way that he's earned and deserved. And he gets to keep his reputation, keep his relationships, and, and keep his ministry intact as a reward for his good actions that would be the rebuttal or the reply to that
2: it would be the very extreme all opposite end there's probably you could probably make an account of of those things somewhere in the middle too
1: right John, come on of course
2: well like or at least you know the human element i think is is fair right he is a he's a decent guy and he's endeared himself to all of these people and so what did he really have to fear uh in his dotage um
1: he has but a clean you conscience. He did the right thing. Right,
2: you don't have to read the hand of God into it. He gets to, He gets to have a clean conscience and also eat his cake. Yeah. Well, because and right. I, yeah, I, that would mean that would be problematic to me if Trollope were explicitly saying uh, the lack of suffering in this life is a vindication by God of you know of your choices. Well, I appreciate that he doesn't come right out and say
0: anything. It's what's making the book more compelling to me right. as we got to right. the end because it's yes. way more gray. Right. Yeah. I think I felt for too much of it that the book was presenting, like the more it was critical of Harding and the more the gray got introduced to it and the less black and white it became, the more interesting I found it because I, I, I feel I, it gives me an answer for things like some of the melodrama and the things that were, mm. I thought to be a little bit... Uh, they just kind of graded me a little bit. I don't know. That's a harsh word, but they just kind of bothered me. (laughs) And when you, when you introduce the gray into it, those choices become, they feel, they feel less like, you know, they're trying to make him into something truly noble. I think he is pretty noble, but I think that he also is full of foibles and that's pretty, uh, and that's real, right? Right, Very few people are actually, Turns yeah, out. he's
1: very human at the end. And so is Grantly and Bold. Um and even Eleanor. Uh you like everybody has Eleanor. a very human trajectory, right? They're not these like archetypes, as you said, Sean, these like flame of self-sacrifice, like Sydney Carton in a Tale of Two Cities, um, who is, but I'm I'm not going to denigrate Sydney Carton because I think a Tale of Two Cities is by far oh, the hey, yeah. best novels. Um and and it has a lingering place in cultural memory because Dickens gives us a truly noble action motivated by human love. Yeah, and and that to me seems far more transcendent than anything anybody did in this novel.
0: Sure, and Dickens understood like as much as we want to, like he understood a does understood. It's like a degree of characterization that reaches that kind of reaches into the reader's soul. Well, right? And
1: Sydney Carton doesn't do it out of principle or duty. He does it because he loves this woman. He is laying down his life for a person. And and the only person who does that in this novel is John Bold. Hmm.
0: In a in a way, kind of Eleanor does when she says, I'll True. I won't marry bold, and I I'll go live in poverty with you because I believe you are the right. I love you, and this is what you think is right.
1: Well, and she goes to be this Iphigenia character, which is mocked by Trollope, right? She goes to like to save her father by sacrificing her happiness, and then she leaves engaged. Like Trollope (laughs) mocks her sacrifice, yeah, Yeah. and parodies it, Um, which is kind of what happens with her dad. So then. So I look at Sidney Carton and Dickens, and I'm like, that's better. Because what, like, who who here does something for the good of another, not just for his own sense of self-satisfaction and, and his duty? And it
2: pays a real price.
1: Right. Yeah.
2: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um. Well, we... <laughs> We have our Q and A. So
1: you know, I'm, I have a I realize I'm going to get a big pushback for everything I'm saying, and I'm going to receive it because I think I,
2: yeah, I think it's true. I, I think you're on something. <laughs>
0: um, Heidi, any final thoughts before we go? I mean, we're going to be able to, we're going to be forced and enjoy digging oh. deeper, yeah, uh, through the questions. Um,
1: yes. Um. Oh, I. I do say I'm. I've not read anything else by Trollope, which I said at the beginning of this, of the podcast, my first. But my understanding is that Grantley returns in Barchester Towers, which everybody is telling me is very good. And so one of the questions I had at the end of the novel was, okay, so if Bold has this kind of moment of transformation and Harding has his moment of transformation, what about Grantley? Um we're just kind of told at the end that, like, yeah, he was kind of an ass, but you don't think badly of him, right? And, um, and not I was his like, finest moment. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Why? Like, um. So yeah. What if I that that felt like asymmetrical to me? That we're supposed to. It seems like we're supposed to have this like moment of Bold's reconciliation with his conscience, and then Harding's reconciliation with his conscience, but not really with Grantley. Um And so I'm wondering if that happens in mm. barchester towers and then his story is left on like kind of left dangling here because he's going to return yeah. um so i don't know that that's the case but i would like to believe it that that there there's more coming for him
2: also for his yeah, children I think, I think that's right yeah yeah his children they this so in interesting them.
1: And that seems to me another reason why maybe they were dragged in. David, you asked, like, what the heck is up with these kids? Why are they in this novel? Maybe because <laughs> this is a series, and he already had planned for to bring them yeah. back.
0: Sure. Yeah. I'm a little surprised he didn't just write. I mean, Dickens wrote long novels, like just write the long novel. Um, I'm, I don't know. I mean, you, know. you don't get
1: you don't get paid till you publish, David. I'm learning that um.
0: right now. <laughs> <laughs> Right, right, uh, uh,
2: <laughs> Sean, final thoughts Final thoughts I'm glad that we read The Warden That's And it, I'm glad that I read The Warden <laughs> with you Maybe there are people out there In TV land who are thinking I can't believe he had to endure this uh, But it's been great And I don't feel like I've had to endure anything No. am <laughs> so you- waiting to talk to you again each week
1: Oh, I love that <laughs> Same
2: um do
0: you feel look, here's the thing. Yeah. Even if what well, you can never accuse Heidi and I of is taking of not taking a book seriously,
2: right? <laughs> Listen, I, yeah, okay, good. I I think we've done the book justice. Uh, in the way that we 've talked about it, and i don 't think and
1: justice is a main concern of this book' <laughs> right
2: justice <laughs> that 's right uh, and i don 't exactly. think this is a. don 't think this is a perfect novel, and so I do think that if we have if we have listeners who are coming to it with an affection already uh, it 's going to be hard to have a thing that you that you love beyond not in not in opposition to reason but sort of beyond reason uh super rationally uh right your your heart is is engaged in some way because you have enduring affection for a thing yeah, it's not that just it's hard, intellect. right it's hard to see and hear it uh critiqued ob- objectively uh in the absence of that that abiding affection um but i think that we have uh we have done justice to this novel which is not a perfect novel uh but that finding the flaws and uh, looking honestly at the flaws is one of the helpful ways to also you know, drive our attention back to the strengths, which I think we've done pretty well and more than satisfied. It's a, it's a tricky thing
0: reading a novel that's got compl- any kind of complexity and talking about it as you go. Yeah, <laughs> it just is yep. like, right. Um, spe- and yeah, I mean, there are people who, like every novel we do is going to have varying degrees of, of uh, affection among our audience and among us. And it's just, sometimes you're, you get hit over the face with the book and then you're trying to like, you get thrown into the deep end of the book and then you're trying to breathe and talk at the same time underwater. And that <laughs> so you, sometimes we're, you, sometimes you just got to swim <laughs> to so that you can get a sense of how deep the water is. That's right. Uh, and figure out where you can stand. I'm going to stop there because I don't really know where else to take the metaphor. <laughs> and then the and sharks I'm, come, and then, and then you got to And then I'm going to drown, the in the- drown in the water of metaphor making. <laughs> you want
1: us to send you a lifeline and pull you out of this?
0: <laughs> it would be great, yeah. Yeah. Some we'll sea turtles and, yeah. yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh so anyway uh up next is our Q&A so we, uh we will create a thread over on the chat on uh on the Substack at closereads.substack.com Uh we have our Kristen Laverne, Laverne's Lavern's daughter series going on which
1: is yeah, going on. I mean I think If you want to hear enthusiasm honestly, for a book you should listen to <laughs> yeah, that Yeah exactly. On, yeah. Exactly.
0: Uh we're just we are uh, more than
1: capable of enthusiastic <laughs> love and feel for a it. novel.
0: <laughs> exactly yeah. We uh, we just dropped the first episode on Book Two, the first three chapters of Book Two, which is called The Wife. Um, so that's out. Um, we are about to record soon our conversation on. Well, Actually, we're recording today when this episode drops. But our conversation on Agatha Christie's uh, The Mysterious Affair at Styles for our mystery episode. So that's going to come up later this month. That's a, that's a very a very well crafted book. I'm just gonna that is a, yeah, a for a debut. That's um. There's a lot there. It's impressive. And we're we're going to be yeah, talking solid. about that. We might be talking about that while you're listening to this right now. Mm. It's possible. So oh, wow. Time travel. Technology exactly. is
1: amazing.
0: Exactly. So there's lots of great content going on. Sean is is, uh, he is doing yeoman's work over at The Daily Poem. And I just want to acknowledge your efforts. Daily effort. Poem, stop by. Yeah, you know, thedailypoem.substack.com or wherever you get podcasts. Sean's doing, That's right. doing a great job. Uh, and he's shout like out to Logan the too. Atlas
1: carrying and Logan, the world yeah. on his shoulders.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. yeah, the poet, right. the poetic. He's been, he's been abandoned yes. on the mountain
2: of poetry reading podcasts. Um if there was a guy he, who filled in for Atlas sometimes and kind of let things.
0: I'll do it when sag, you write your book, Sean. That's me. Yeah. You know what the thing Fair about enough. Atlas though is the whole point <laughs> of the metaphor, Sean. The whole point of the fable or the myth is that no one's there to help him. That's so right. If Except someone was there, the whole myth would have changed. Yeah, but we don't have Hercules. So, uh, but, <laughs> you know, that's isn't that just life, though? There's no, actually, Hercules he's kind of right. like
1: yeah. Hercules. Like, oh, we were like Atlas, and then he oh, came along and yeah. took it so, over, uh, and then yeah, we yeah, just yeah, disappeared.
0: Yeah. But, right. yeah. Peace. <laughs> Speaking of peace, you're for doing Heidi a White. good job <laughs> for Heidi White, for Sean Johnson. I'm David Kern. Thanks for listening until next time. Happy reading.